What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the most notorious gangsters in the world. I'm Corey Franchise, and thanks for tuning in. Today, I kind of want to continue some of the info about the commission, but mainly, we're going to talk about the boss of the bosses. He had one of the most cunning and violent rises to the top. His commanding presence and intimidation would see that he take control of the New York area for some period of time in 1957. After he worked with Carlo Gambino, to get rid of Lucky Luciano's allies, he was an enforcer and one of the most powerful American crime syndicate bosses from the 1930s to the 1950s. Today, we're going to talk about the Don Vito Genovese, born November 27, 1897, near Naples, Italy. He and his family sailed to New York in 1912 with his two brothers, Vito being 15 at the time. He was almost automatically a product of the street life when they reached New York. Vito was always in conflict, and he handled everything out of the barrel of a gun. He had an appetite for killing for the next 10 years. Genovese was charged with shooting a man in Brooklyn, running down and killing a man in Queens, and murdering another hoodlum in the city. Also keeping a loaded revolver in his belt on the Lower East Side. Vito ended up falling in love with a woman named Anna, and she was married to someone else, and Vito wanted to marry her. He then took it upon himself to handle the situation. So Vito and his crew had Anna's husband thrown off the roof in order for him to marry her. Murder was like a ritual for him. He had no conscience. In 1929, this is when he caught the eye of the biggest boss of them all. Lucky Luciano. Vito rose to the top because of his intimidation, and Lucky had no problem letting him do it. Even though Luciano could take care of himself, he still needed hitmen like Vito to be his enforcers. By the 1930s, he had then become another right hand of Luciano and an underboss. His reputation for violence gave him the nickname Don Vito, the Great Vito. In 1936, Genovese had a chance to take the top job, being that Lucky Luciano was sent to prison for 30 to 50 years for prostitution charges. But things would take a turn when he found out he was being investigated for a murder for back in the 30s that he had somehow beat the rap for. It was over a card game and money with one of his gangsters. Just as he was about to take over the Luciano family, he had to flee to Italy to escape the murder charge and the electric chair. Now with Vito out of the country, Luciano from prison calls Frank Costello to step in as boss. Costello, from Italy like Genovese, in the 1900s came to America at age four to East Harlem with his parents. His father ran a grocery store, but they still struggled. Costello, he despised his father's way of thinking and how he would settle for a life of poverty. So at a young age, Frank joined a violent street gang. In 1915, he had his first run-in with the law, and he was arrested for gun possession and sentenced to a year in jail. After his release, he was changed. He figured that he would use his mind and not his gun to get ahead. Even though everybody around him was prone to violence, he knew that violence didn't make money. Costello wasn't a hitman or a thug. 
He was a gangster and a gentleman. He soon got involved into slot machines, and his slot machines would produce over $500,000 per day. And that's when he got the name King of the Slots. Now with Vito gone, Costello is a very powerful man and the head of the most largest crime family in America. With 400 soldiers underneath him, he easily fills Luciano's shoes and continues to bring the family billions to their fortune. Vito in Italy is still trying to make his way. When he left, it was said that he had a bag with 750000 inside. And he definitely was going to need it. Bonita Mussolini, the head of the National Facet Party in Italy, was against the Sicilian Mafia. Now Genovese is forced to be smarter than he is violent. He softened up Mussolini by making donations to the Facet Buildings and also put a hit out for Mussolini on the editor who was a critic against him. Genovese put the word in back home and the editor was dead. As a reward for the services, he was awarded by Mussolini with an Italian knighthood. But Mussolini was known for killing Mafia, so it was hard for him to relax. During World War II, Genovese took advantage of another situation. He was playing both sides. When America invaded Sicily in 1943, Mussolini was defeated, and Vito ends up switching sides and becoming an interpreter and advisor to the U.S. They thought that he was helping them, but what he really was doing was running a black marketeer scheme. He was stealing U.S. supplies and selling them on the black market in Italy by bribing soldiers. Genovese always had a plan to get back on his feet, but the real trouble still awaits him in the U.S. across the Atlantic. He is still wanted in New York City and they still have a witness, Peter LaTempa, who says he was there when Genovese planned the murder. In August 1944, they catch up with Vito, and he's taken back to the United States and faced the murder trial. But there's no way he's planning to take the rap. In January 1945, LaTempa was in protective custody, and he was complaining about gallstone problems. He was given pain meds by the guard, Two hours later, he was dead. The toxologist who examined him said he had taken enough to kill three horses. Then with no case and no witness, the judge told Vito that if there was any speck against him, he would have been condemned to the chair because he has obviously beat the system over and over again. Genovese is now a free man but he's not in charge. Now is his old rival, Frank Costello, and he was really progressing. Frank presented himself as a businessman and an earner. He mixed well with politicians, authors, city councils, cops, and politicians. He was a man that could separate the mob and legit business. All Genovese could do was watch. Costello's intelligence was intimidating and Vito was jealous. When you have the mafia involved in a judicial system, they are deciding how justice is carried out and what bills are passed. And this is far more dangerous than anything. And for this reason, he was given the name the Prime Minister by the media. Genovese knew Costello was making a mistake, 
by only dealing with the big guys and neglecting his troops. They were complaining, and he only dealt with the capos, no one else. Genevieve seen this as an opportunity to undermine Costello's leadership. Everybody knew Genovese was the real deal, and Frank was someone who left him hungry. Vito never forgot the fact that he was a criminal. As for Costello, he started believing he was a really legit businessman. Everybody knowing that Genovese wanted his job back. Also, he was the head of the family before Frank, but he didn't have the connections like Costello. And he couldn't just take the job, they wouldn't allow that as long as Frank was thriving. So he stepped his game up. He made sure his rackets were producing very good money. He had soldiers and hitmen as well. After this, he just sat back and waited until Costello makes any wrong moves. And it wasn't long after. In 1950, a Democratic senator from Tennessee named Eskes Cavara, he was head of the committee to investigate organized crime. And he called over 600 members from politicians and underworld figures to testify before his committee. Making headline news, most of the witnesses refused to say anything, but not Costello. He wanted to answer any questions. He was asked, what have you ever done for your country as an American? Frank spoke back and he said he didn't know what the reporter meant or what he wanted him to say. His only reply was, I pay my taxes. He thought that was actually good enough. But after that, he quickly refused to answer any more questions. And being embarrassed, he produced a note from his doctor and said he was unwilling to testify anymore publicly until he's better. After this, Frank's public image was humiliated. He leaves out of the committee as the Justice Department number one target. And everyone went after him. He was indicted for tax evasion and evicted and lying to Congress. With everything being televised, it was the beginning of the end for Frank and the mob because it brought attention on the mob and what they were doing. With Costello losing power and his public image fading, it was Genevieve's time to make a move. He started killing Costello's hitmen and first on the list was William Moretti, a fear racketeer in New Jersey. He had an army of 60 soldiers on his own. And him and Costello had been longtime friends, one of Costello's strongest supporters. With Moretti being Costello's second in command, a underboss, it drops Genovese down to captain. Moretti was suffering from syphilis and was entering his brain. It's a condition that Genovese took to his advantage. So he approached the commission and says that Moretti's condition could cause him to slip and talk to authorities. And then he asked to kill him. The commission operates off strict rules. No boss can be killed without the okay of the board. And they gave him permission. On the morning in October 1951, he catches up to Moretti and shoots him in the head. After this, it's clear to Costello that Genovese was coming for him. Costello having so much going on at the time, he couldn't even fight back. He was too busy fighting charges with the U.S. authorities for taxes and contempt of court. 
The next six years, Costello was in and out of jail. He got out on bail 1957 in March, and Genovese was ready to finally settle the score. He asked the commission who was set up by Lucky Luciano numerous times if he could kill Costello, and he grew tired of asking, and he was going to get the job done anyway. He had to study Frank Costello's moves and his routine. He found out that Costello takes cabs most of the time, and he walks and has no bodyguards around, making him an easy target. So Genovese gave the job to Vincent Gianti, a former prize fighter who had become a chauffeur for Vito. He was a real thug and a killer, just like his partner Genovese. May 2nd, 1957, Costello was out with some friends for dinner on the east side. Then after he ate dinner, he took a cab home to his upper-class neighborhood called the Majestic Apartments. He was alone, and he was so sure of himself. Even though Genovese was after him, he was unbothered until he was met in the lobby of his apartments by Gianti. Gianti raising his pistol saying, this is for you Frank, and firing. But luckily for Frank, the bullet would only graze his skull, leaving him alive. And the doorman at the majestic apartments identified Gianti. Now Gianti is on trial for attempted murder of Frank Costello which doesn't do good for Genovese. Because if Gianti were to flip, he may point fingers back at him. But at the trial, Frank did not break the omerta, the mob code of silence, and he tells the jury that he'd never seen him before. Gianti is then acquitted. He walks over to Frank, reaches out for a handshake, and says, thanks, Frank. Genovese appears to be in the clear for the time being, but he knew what he had coming. So he took on a meeting with the head executioner of Murder, Inc., Albert Anastasia. Ice picks, guns, and strangulation were his methods. He was ruthless, unlike Costello, his close friend. And if there was an attack on Costello and he was alive, he would be the counterattack. But Genovese needed to get him first. But he lived in a big house with barbed wire fences kept bodyguards and he had dogs so Genovese needed help from the inside he approached the lieutenant of Anastasia Carlo Gambino and convinced him that they both would be better without Anastasia October 25th 1957 midtown Manhattan Anastasia walks into a barber shop and his men go and park the car in an underground parking garage and take a walk Anastasia relaxes in a chair lays back and closes his eyes. When two men with suits and scarves on their face walked up behind him, literally blasted him out of the chair. Now with Costello's main enforcer dead, Genovese denounced Costello's authority and declared himself head of the family. And if Costello did not cooperate, he would be assassinated. He started taking Costello's gambling assets and interests in Las Vegas, Florida, and New York. He spared Costello's life in the agreement that he'd get out of the rackets for good. And just like that, Genovese is again head of the largest crime family in New York, but still in trouble. He had taken out the boss without permission from the commission. Also, he started selling heavy narcotics, thinking it was a good look for the mob. But instead, drugs brought heat down on the mob and the commission. 
and they were uncomfortable with this, feeling that Genovese was a loose cannon. So to save himself, he called a meeting with the commission to explain the recent actions and the change in command. These meetings are only held every five to six years, but Genovese found it important that everyone come together sooner so he can update them on the new development and him being back head of the family. He picked the same places they previously had met in upstate Appalachian. One of the biggest mistakes that Genovese had ever made. In November 1957, there were more than 60 senior bosses with their bodyguards and men that showed up from Cuba, Italy, and the U.S. to Appalachian. This was a small town in New York and out of the eyes of the city cops. They would meet at the home of Mafia boss Joseph Barbero and some of the most powerful bosses like Joe Banana, Carmen Galante, and Sam Giacana. And at the head of the table was Don Vito. The local police knew it was something strange because there were too many cars and tourists coming into town, going to one spot. Also, they noticed that Barbera was booking up all the rooms and the hotels in the area. And they were tipped off that he had placed a big order for 15 pounds of steaks and cold cuts that day. Knowing that he had mafia connections, they kept an eye on him. So the cops were watching as the cars pulled in and soon they called for backup. Soon after that, they surrounded the house and raided the meeting. Some members fled to their cars, others ran in the woods where they were chased down and caught by authorities. At least 50 got away. They all had the same excuse. Barbera was sick and they had dropped in to check on him. The authorities weren't buying it. The Appalachian meeting was the largest meeting ever raided by cops. It would be the largest meeting that they will ever have again. Over 20 members were charged with conspiracy to commit perjury and obstruction of justice, receiving three to five years. But most rulings were overturned due to lack of evidence. So much for Genovese's announcement that he's back head of the family. What he had done is open the eyes of the FBI. As a result of the raid of the meeting, the FBI was instructed to target Genovese himself. April 1959, they had finally got Genovese in a Manhattan federal court who had been fined $20,000 and sent to jail for 15 years for heading an international narcotics syndicate that smuggled heroin and cocaine into the United States. He continued to run his organization from his cell until dying from a heart attack in 1969. Genovese left behind a very powerful crime family name that they still hold on to this very day. The Vito Genovese crime family. They still bring in millions of dollars. But Vito's actions expose the mob forever. This has been the end of episode five, the Genovese, Frank Costello, and Commission Edition. Thanks for tuning in again. I appreciate you as always. I'm Corey Franchise. Remember, content comes out twice a week. Don't forget to subscribe. Peace. <laughs> Keep the change, you filthy animal.